I'm Chris Biddle and this is episode 78 of Inside AgriTurf. Now in the last episode um, I looked at the evolution, the milestones and the development of farm machinery during the 70 years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. And this time I'm considering the changes in lawnmowers and garden machinery during that same period starting in 1952. And who better to provide a highly qualified perspective than Brian Radham, the owner, the curator of the British Lawnmower Museum. Brian, thanks for joining me. Now, I understand that the lawnmower business has been in your blood from the very beginning and, and that you were born above your father's DIY shop in Southport. Yeah, that's pretty much right. My father, he repaired locks and safes and lawnmowers. I, I started in life as an apprentice at the ATCO service branch. Um, in the 60s, serviced uh, 425 lawnmowers every week. 5% of those uh, were cylinder mowers. A full service was not what a modern full service uh, would entail. Um, an overhaul then would be hot, hot steam clean, uh, take the engine off, strip the engine down, decoke it, every nut and bolt off the chassis, uh, remove all the paint. Uh, put that in a caustic bath, rebore the engine if uh, necessary. Because, say, something like on a Suffolk Colt engine, you could rebore that three times. So, you know, it, it, you could make that engine last a long time uh, before it needed a new en engine block. Then it will be reassembled, all new paint put back on, uh, including the decals, and that, that what would entail a normal full service. <laughs> Uh, and this was the it's, this was the manufacturer doing this, of course. And yes, uh, uh, Atco had their own service branches. Had ten service branches around the country. This was the one for the northwest. And presumably, sort of having cut your teeth at at Atco, you you came back into the into the family shop. As I say, still involved in locks and and lawnmowers. Uh, branch it closed down. Uh, so then I came back into the shop, and and the. The skills that I'd uh, learned at ATCO sort of enhanced my locksmith skills. So uh, I went on to be uh, a fellow of the Master Locksmith Institute. Uh, so are they compatible in terms of engineering and skills? Well, I, I think it, it's a I love anything mechanical. And a, a lock is very similar to a lawnmower with moving parts in it. And you just need to understand how it works. And that, that's where the interest is. Well, now, uh, the whole purpose of this this podcast is to actually look at the evolution of lawnmowers and garden machinery uh, during the Queen's reign, the 70 years. So that goes back to uh, 1952. But firstly, let, let, let's just sort of delve a little bit into the, uh, the, the the history and the museum that you've set up at Southport, which is based at, at your shop. That started in the 80s. How and why did you start it then, Brian? It was really, we had a great big pile of scrap iron in the back, which was all the lawnmowers that were too too expensive to repair. There was no spare parts. And really, they should have all gone to the crusher. Uh, but it seemed such a shame to throw a quality machine out. We said, we won't scrap this one, we'll restore this one. And then some of the JP machines that, you know, they were classed as the Rolls-Royce machines. Shame to throw that out, we'll restore that one. So it... We, we started with a, a few machines that were restored 
And then as the industry changed, you know, a lot of the companies started closing down and uh, it seemed such a shame. So we ended up with all the original patents, the blueprints, all the manuals. Uh, and we we said we've just got to preserve all these, uh, which is that, uh, so we started the museum and everything's built up from them. So we, we've ended up with, uh, well, over a thousand machines. We're just preserving a little bit of great Brit- British engineering heritage. Indeed, because um, I think there, I mean, there used to be um, a British Lawnmower Makers Federation and uh, but I got a feeling there's probably only two manufacturers now manufacturing mowers in the UK, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's there's very few now, uh, which is it's sad really because lawn mowing it's a very very British thing. Get people coming from America and they're just amazed to see the machines because they just don't have that uh, history where we use the machines. We had 19 professional groundsmen came over. And they were just astounded that we actually used those machines, you yeah. know, uh, 150 years ago. So, so you, you are mentioned um, quite often in the, the list of unusual museums to go to in the UK, alongside, I think, things like the Pencil Museum or the Dental Museum or the Marble Museum. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you get quite a lot of publicity, don't you? And, and does this pull in the visitors what sort of visitor numbers would you get every year we, we get lots of people come in but you know it's quite a few thousand that come from all over the world uh, like i mentioned americans because it's just something unique japanese who don't have our, our type of gardens at all um so it, it's it, it's a unique experience right at the cutting edge <laughs> yeah kind of cutting edge indeed oh yes uh, the old cliches um which which do you find are the most uh, interesting exhibits? So what what do the visitors really enjoy looking at? What 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 intrigues them most? Lots of people that just do not want to throw something away, uh, including celebrities. So when you get somebody like uh, Brian May from the rock band Queen and just rings up and says, Brian May here, would you like my old lawnmower? And it, it, that sort of thing, it creates quite a lot of interest. Uh, he said um, it had done, it, it, in fact, he had a, a hater harrier. It had done sterling work uh, and it, did, it was the Gilbert Harding of lawnmowers and he didn't claim, complain too much and he wanted it to have a happy retirement and wished the same for himself when he retired. Uh, so it's just that sort of thing. Um, we did, uh, James May, we did a Suffolk cult for James May on a programme called The Reassembler and the idea was, uh, everybody takes things apart and never puts them back together. So we gave him a, th- um, a Suffolk Colt in 350 bits and he puts it together on the programme. And uh, things like um, uh, Lee Mack, if you watch um, Would I Lie to You? So if you uh, Google Lee Mack and Dibber on YouTube, uh, it's one of the entertaining snippets. <laughs> Uh, and I understand that you uh, you do supply uh, props, if you like, lawnmowers that you've got for various uh, films or TV use, do you? Yeah, they're quite specific because if, if you're doing a film of the 1950s and they're using a lawnmower from 1960, they'll, they'll know about it because people will ring in and say, they never had that in 1950. So, yeah, if, if it 
a period machine and um, quite often the TV or film uh, would, would do that. We, we did a few um, Valormos in the, the Downton Abbey film. So they want authenticity and so on. But now yeah. you, you mentioned the 1950s, which is kind of where I want to start and, uh, and look at the evolution in just a few minutes. What was the most popular mower if you go back to the 1950s? Uh, and, and was it, what, was there a start of sort of mass ownership of lawnmowers or motorized lawnmowers then? Well, 1950s, probably a lot of people still just using a hand push machine. And then sort of when the Suffolk Colt came about, which is probably the a budget model, it would it costing around about £17, 10 shillings at the time. So the average person could afford a, pe- a powered mower, uh, perhaps for the first time. And also it, it was um, easy to start and, and quite, at the time, quite easy to use. Because prior to that, you were on two-stroke engines. Sometimes with a two-stroke engine, you needed a, a degree in engineering just to start it, especially the, like the Suffolk ponies with the little, um, you know, the little JAP 39cc engines. Uh, and, and I think, um, obviously, cylinder mowers, because of their, their makeup, do take yeah. more servicing. D- did we find that they were gradually overtaken by, by rotary mowers? And, and, and we, we're talking about haters and mountfields and so on. Yes, the the um, the thing is nowadays there's so much more to do than what we had to do in the fifties. You know, there's a lot more TV back in the fifties. You had probably one TV channel, and it it, it wasn't on all day. There was no computers, no internet, all that sort of thing. So now there's such a lot more that fills your time. Uh, whereas in the 50s, it, it was, you know, Sunday afternoon, that was the day you went and, and cut the grass um, before uh, being q day. So, you know, the shops were closed on a Sunday. And and people, uh, people Brian, also used to go out for a drive for pleasure. And yes, you, you yes. would never go out for to drive for pleasure uh, yeah. now. And, and, and so, as you say, it was biting into the leisure time and, and, and so on. I, I, I suppose... I suppose one of the biggest revolutions came in the mid-60s with the invention of the, the hover mower, the fly mower particularly. Uh, and th- that really revolutionised uh, lawn mowing, didn't it? it? It was a big sort of breakthrough because the machines were going a lot lighter. So along, only a sort of a, a, a few years after the, the hovercraft lawnmower was invented, uh, you're looking at the Qualcast Concorde, the Black & Decker Laundrette, um, the Qualcast Rotor Mini in, in the lightweight electric budget machine. So all of a sudden, you could have a powered mower costing around about £5, where it was costing perhaps 7 to £8 to have your old one fully serviced. Of course, they were so much lighter to use, although they didn't give quite as rolled finish as the the cylinders with a, a good roller on the back but people just wanted to keep the the gardens neat and tidy and that filled filled the spot at a price do, do you think the early flymos were bought as sort of a novelty purchase initially i mean they became very much mainstream eventually didn't they yeah i mean it was a modern invention it's a shame really because the the invention was from sir christopher cockrell yeah and he died penniless and yes. uh, the Hovercraft Lawnmower Company went on to make to do very well. 
but that that's the same with a lot of inventors sadly I think the, uh, the 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 inventor of the, uh, the hover mower, Carl Darman, was a was a Swedish gentleman, wasn't it? Yeah. Who based his design on the hovercraft. But I, but it was always strange, Brian, that that Flymos as a brand uh, never took off really outside the UK, did they? I don't know why, because uh, whether it's the grass, it, it does baffle me sometimes. Why uh, sometimes um, in different colors countries the color is quite important you know like in in germany a lot of machines are yellow so in a lot of cases they follow the colors of the the national flag um whether orange didn't suit them or not i'm not sure i don't know do you think it might have been to do with the color then may have done i don't know there has been quite a few different hovercraft type lawnmowers there was um, obviously Flymo was was the brand, and of course, yeah. I, I'm not sure whether he had a patent on that because there was nobody else came up um, until much later on. There was another couple of, of of manufacturers of that technology, but so he must have had the technology. He must have had the patent tied up quite tightly. Um, yeah, it's, it's also probably quite a, a, a hard process to get the consistency of the material uh, came out because when when um, the hovercraft lawnmower originally came out. If you put yourself back in the mid '60s, anything made out of plastic was deemed very flimsy. The fact that a flymo was stronger than a police riot shield didn't seem <laughs> to make much difference. It's perhaps people's perceived image, but what something is. Uh, and of course, it, it was subject or one of the uh, contestants, shall I say, in a. Uh, what's known as the Mower War. Uh, there was a, a very, uh, yeah. very aggressive advertising campaign between Callcast and and Flymo, um, along with the strap, strap line from Callcast. It's a lot less bother than the hover, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And that went on for a couple of years. And certainly, I think that might have well stirred up the lawnmower industry. Do, do you think? Well, the, the, there was a lot of advertising about it at the time, but I'm not sure whether the manufacturers would do that again. <laughs> no. You talked originally about lawnmowers with petrol engines and so on, but we were also seeing during the 60s and 70s uh, the growth of uh, electric power machines, corded machines particularly. And and indeed, uh, there were a few early battery models, but I don't think battery technology had improved to a state where it was either economical or, or practical, had it? Well, in the seventies, when uh, Apco and Webb and even Ransom had a, they were making cordless mowers, uh, and they were just using basically a, a car battery. And at the, at the time, they were a really popular machine because you didn't have a trailing cable. Uh, they, they would do a, a good tennis court-sized garden. The, the battery was, if I remember, around about four pound. 10 shillings at the time, £4.50. And then when uh, the price of the car battery started going up, I think the market changed because you were going into the realms of, well, I could get a new battery for my mower, which would cost six or seven pounds, or buy a brand new mains mower. And and, and the, the, the tide uh, sort of changed and they went out of favour, which was sad, really, because they were a good quality machine. We're back on the market with a sort of a good quality cordless cylinder mower now. I think a lot of the um, 
uh, runtime and technology um, has been uh, solved, if you like. And I think people do buy them. They know that they will uh, cut for longer and so on. But that certainly wasn't the case in the early days, was it? No. Battery technology, you know, has come on a long way. I mean, put yourself back in the 50s and you're going to use a battery machine. Just prior to that, you would have used a glass accumulator. So that's like um, a battery that was encased in glass with um, acids swishing around inside of it. And yes. that, that was quite acceptable at the time. Of course, I mean, if we if we come more or less up to date, so much of the technology and mowers and machines these days are uh, governed by or, or through by environmental uh, concerns certainly in in terms of uh, you, you're getting robot mowers now because of there's a there's a a movement against the petrol engines for argument's sake and 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 um, is that driving the market at the moment because certainly robot mowers appear to be uh, becoming more and more mainstream don't they I think Europe definitely they're really popular in Europe in the UK they're coming without a doubt they're going to gain more popularity because. They're almost silent. They're a lot quieter. There's no petrol. You don't have to start them. doesn't take up as much of your time. Uh, they, they did have a go uh, at the 1957 Chelsea Flower Show. Uh, Webb had a remote control lawnmower, which was sort of like the first robotic type one. Uh, but sadly, if you lost the signal, uh, you know, <laughs> it would go through the flower beds, through the neighbor's fence perhaps never to be seen again. And it's taken them perhaps nearly 40 years to get the technology that's safe so everybody could use it. So 1995 was the first proper production robot mower from Husqvarna. Um, Brian, what, what sense do you get of, of people's attitude to uh, lawnmowers cutting the grass and, and, and so on? Is it is it still as popular? I mean, uh, it, it's often said that a, a well kept, particularly grass law, will enhance the value of a house. I think you can divide the country into half. Fifty percent of the people love cutting the grass, and fifty percent of the people think it's a pain in the grass. <laughs> um, it, it's those people who just like cutting the grass, uh, and it, it, it's a pleasure to do. It's also a bit of healthy exercise and all that sort of thing. And also, on top of that, you've got uh, the new houses now don't have as big a lawns as what they used to have. And uh, again, our time's being filled so much. So, you know, you just want to get it done. So it's neat and tidy, the, the quickest way. And the robot is, is the way to do that now. The, the, the second generation of robots, you know, you can be sat on the beach in a deck chair somewhere and still be in charge of cutting the grass. So you know. sounds sounds a good option. Uh, funnily enough, I was, and, and I think we all agree this that that this has been a trend. But I was walking down a street uh, in a suburb of London recently, and and pretty well every single garden had been hard landscaped to take a car. Or, yeah. or, or it was wasn't grass any longer. Whereas people used to be very proud of their front lawn. Um, yeah. That seems to have disappeared these days, doesn't it? There's more cars uh, and they take up space at your home. And if, it, if the lawn has to go, it, the car takes priority over it. I mean, it, it's it's a shame when they flag it over or tarmac it, that sort of thing, because uh, it alters the, the, the water table because 
all that water then just goes down the drains instead of going into the land. But it, it's 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 one of those things that call progress. I mean, the, the robots, you know, we will see them going down the, the verges of the motorways because if you're cutting on a slope now, it's just far safer for a robot to go down, especially if it's a four-wheel steer one, uh, it's got four-wheel drive, it can pull itself out of a ditch and all that sort of thing. And the operator can be miles away just sat yeah. in an office uh, using it. Not that long ago, we didn't have satellites to, to just control them and everything. Just going back to the museum, have you got a favourite exhibit, something that you you, you point people in the direction of uh, when they enter your, your museum? Yeah, I mean, they've all, they've all got a story. I mean, uh, uh, we have uh, Eric Morecambe's lawnmower, and it's now one of Lancashire's special 70 objects. When it was collected by the refuse man who kept it, <laughs> he said um, it was a nice, hot, sunny afternoon. Eric Morecambe was in his garden with a, a knotted anky on his head, and he was just celebrating the birth of his first baby, and he's writing, it's a boy in the lawn with weed killer. And, um, <laughs> Uh, Bart Simpson, uh, years and years later, copied him on his birthday by writing Bart with Weed Killer to immortal his name for 12 months in the grass. They've all, they've all got a story. And um, we had, because um, we've documented all the, all the mowers, because we've got quite a lot of the uh, old photographs. And um, what, what happens with those is it wasn't that worthy sometimes for uh, the, the, the estate owner to take a photograph of the mower and the gardener and when they did it would perhaps go to the bottom of a drawer somewhere and then when the estates wound up all these pictures are scattered to every part of the of the globe and so when we get these pictures we know everything about the lawnmower but what we don't know that much about is with the gardeners who use them and everything a story from uh, one family that came brought the photograph in uh, and it was this guy called Edward Ward Street. He was just an ordinary gardener in 1900. And then when World War I broke out, he enlisted to be a soldier. All the enlisted soldiers were sent to the doctor to be inoculated to go abroad. With He went with 99 other soldiers. And uh, they all died of, these, of this contagious disease called spotted fever. Uh, the coffin was sent back to the family. Uh, but when the coffin came, it didn't have his name on it, it had somebody else's name on. And the family didn't open the coffin uh, <laughs> to, so they didn't get this um, contagious disease. So they sent the coffin back. Another coffin came with his name on and they buried him. And then it wasn't till years and years later where one of the family was on a train going to London and they sat next to this army sergeant and they got chatting. And the sergeant said, oh, we're going to, uh, I'm going to the Tower of London for an execution. They said it was this doctor who was a German doctor and he'd, and he'd um, injected all these uh, soldiers with this fever. So, you know, the story came, came round. Plus in those days, you know, he didn't have the telephone. He didn't have the, all the modern Facebook that you'd have now. So it was only really word of mouth that you heard a story, and that's just one gardener behind the picture of the lawnmower. It's quite an interesting thing uh, once you've sort of uh, 
find out about it. And I suppose one of the advantages of a specialist um, museum like yours, you, you're often on hand anyway, and, and uh, so you can tell these stories and put a lot of the exhibits into context. So really finally then, Brian, and thanks very much for, for doing this today. We've come a long way in 70 years for the, the type of machines. Do you think lawnmowers be, will be around in another 70 years? Uh, well, I'd, I'd love to be here to see them. <laughs> if you Me equate uh, the last 70 years, that puts you back in the 1950s. If you see how sort of technologies come on since then, you know, we're going to be looking at lawnmowers that we, we won't imagine what they'd be like. You can only imagine something like a, a laser mower with no moving parts, completely silent, and it's just zapping the grass. It all goes into moisture for nutrients and all that sort of thing. Um, I would imagine it, it's or e- even um, a, a beam that just scans the top of the, the lawn and um, just keeps it at a, exactly the height that you want it at. Uh, and indeed, there has been a a move towards, shall we call it, plastic grass, but which has raised a lot of environmental concerns, of course, mm, particularly yeah. in the current climate, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's plastic grass. It's it's not. It's just not natural. It, it still has to be groomed in some way. Whatever goes on the grass stays on the grass. If you know what I mean. And of course, top of the list of a lot of people's favourite evocative senses is the smell of newly mown grass, uh, yeah. particularly after a shower. And 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 yeah. I know you can't. Uh, if you could bottle that, I'm sure it would uh, sell an awful lot. Well, in a survey, uh, a survey of smells, freshly cut grass was the top smell. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it, it uh, goes. It conjures something up in your memory, whatever the chemicals are, and it puts you back into uh, sunny days having picnics and and that sort of thing. It's very therapeutic. Well, look, thanks very much indeed, Brian. It's been uh, most interesting, and um, I, I know and I often see references to your museum on in in the media and on TV, and it, it's it's a year round uh, visitor numbers you get. It, uh, uh, yes, it's more in the summer when when the south Southport. It is a, a a tourist resort. So although sometimes uh, foreign visitors get uh, a little bit mixed up because Southport, it's not in the south. Uh, it's not a port. <laughs> we haven't even got a harbour. But more when the um, uh, uh, visitors uh, come from all, all over. And yeah. when when you were saying about uh, just before about um, uh, the the royals and. Uh, Queen Elizabeth and everything. Of course, uh, it was uh, King Charles VI. He gave the first royal warrant to ATCO in 1940. Then Queen Elizabeth II gave the royal warrant to ATCO in 1952. And then Prince Charles, or King Charles, as we should say now, uh, uh, gave the royal warrant uh, in 1986. Um, and it's um, we have a picture of uh, Prince Edward and Prince Andrew using a children's toy web lawnmower in the 60s, where the idea was just to encourage a child to cut the grass just like Dad would do. And they were really popular in the 50s and 60s. So there's the the royal connection. And I know there have been a number of royal warrants uh, presented to lawnmower companies, and uh, presumably because some of the royal uh, palaces and so on uh, are still proud of their gardens. Well, look, Brian, 
Thank you once again. Uh, it's very enjoyable. Thanks very much indeed. And I shall wish you all the best uh, for your museum in the, the weeks, months and years ahead. Yeah, the same to you. And I hope this podcast is something to remember for Evermore. <laughs> Thank you very much. It has been impossible to chronicle the huge changes in the design of grass-cutting equipment in just a few minutes, for it ranges from the early hand mowers to today's robotic machines that can be remotely operated. Brian Radham's British Lawnmower Museum is a treasure trove of machinery and documentation that illustrates an important chapter in the industrial and social life of our land and attracts thousands of visitors every year fascinated and wanting to learn more about a very British preoccupation. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. Agriturf.